It's me, D.B. Spitzer, and I just want to let you know, many of you know that we actually record in the Pacific Northwest, which is currently dealing with fires, and just letting you know that Dave and all of his goats in the real world, Dave does have goats, and they're all fine. Everyone, they're, they're smoky. Dave has a place to stay right now. The goats have a place. They're in a barn. I don't know how the farm is actually doing itself. But Dave and the goats and Dave's family, everyone's safe. I have been in Portland this whole time, uh, just trying to figure out how to filter the air properly for my family and myself. And hey, if, if you can't get an air filter, if you don't have an air purifier, don't, don't boil water and dump baking soda. That doesn't do anything. Think about that. How does that neutralize the air? Get a box fan and a fitted sheet, wrap it around it a couple of times, turn it on high, <laughs> Just hope you don't burn out the motor and burn your house down. <laughs> right. Or you can put uh, air filters on. If you have an HVAC system, uh, make it so it doesn't go with the outside and just filter it around. Anyway, if you know this stuff, you can look it up. And here we go with the book club. You're listening to 1130 AM. Oleander Community Radio. Here's the community bulletin board of what's going on this week. Thank you for listening. Social distancing Oktoberfest continues at Oblivion's Family Fun Irish and German Pub. Hey everyone, welcome back to part three of the wizard. Uh, the Scarecrow of Oz, featuring The Scarecrow of Oz by L. Frank Baum. So, yeah, here's that. And uh, just so I can finish what I was, my thought was before uh, I had to do station ID and show ID. <sighs> Everyone's safe. Everyone. Oh, my mask keeps bumping up against the microphone. I have to record with a mask on because my studio is not part of my house. It's a separate building that just has two windows and an air conditioner unit that I can't use half the time because I'm recording it here. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, no, uh, I'm, I'm safe, just a little smoky, Dave's safe, just super duper smoky and a little bit displaced. We're going to figure stuff out. We will hopefully have an episode this Thursday. It may just be DB talking about stuff, but we're not going to make light of things going on. We're not going to pretend that we're in Oleander and that stuff's going on in Oleander because that's just messed up. And I don't know, fictionalizing a real thing. I don't know if I've talked about this, but my sister lived in Malden. My real-life sister lived in Malden, uh, uh, Washington, which burnt down. She lost her house. And my parents, which had left their RV there, uh, lost their RV, and my mom's really upset that she lost all of her winter clothing which she had in the RV for some reason. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we're not making fun of stuff. We're not going to fictionalize things for the show. Right now, we're going to talk about stuff that's real. <sighs> you can, uh, I don't know, um, if you follow the show, you can follow, if you follow the show on Facebook, you can check us out on, for real on Facebook and see kind of what's really going on. <sighs> yeah, no, no, uh, wildfires, 
people displaced, nothing to joke about, nothing to turn into a podcast. So if you're out there and you're hearing this, stay safe. Find a way to, uh, you know, keep, keep, keep from breathing this smoke. I currently have a face mask on, which stuck paper towels in just to add as an extra filter. So here's the Scarecrow, part three. Let's go. Special thanks to the boys down at the VFW for providing drums. Chapter nine, the kingdom of Jinxland. Trot rode with more comfort than she had expected, although the swing swayed so much that she had to hold on tight with both hands. Captain Bill's bird followed the ark, and Trot came next, with Button Bright trailing behind her. It was quite an imposing procession, but unfortunately there was no one to see it, for the ark had headed straight for the great sandy desert and in a few minutes after starting they were flying high over the broad waste where no living thing could exist. The little girl thought this would be a bad place for the birds to lose strength, or for the cloth ropes to give way, but although she could not help feeling a trifle nervous and fidgety, she had confidence in the huge and brilliantly plumaged bird that bore her as well as in Cap'n Bill's knowledge of how to twist and fasten a rope so it would hold. That was a remarkably big desert. There was nothing to relieve the monotony of view, and every minute seemed an hour and every hour a day. Disagreeable fumes and gases rose from the sands, which would have been deadly to the travelers had they not been so high in the air. As it was, Trot was beginning to feel sick when a breath of fresher air filled her nostrils, and on looking ahead she saw a great cloud of pink-tinted mist. Even while she wondered what it could be, the ark plunged boldly into the mist, and the other birds followed. She could see nothing for a time, nor could the bird which carried her see where the ark had gone, but it kept on flying as sturdily as ever and in a few moments the mist was passed, and the girl saw a most beautiful landscape spread out below her, extending as far as her eye could reach. She saw bits of forest, verdure-clothed hills, fields of waving grain, fountains, rivers, and lakes, and throughout the scene were scattered groups of pretty houses and a few grand castles and palaces. Over all this delightful landscape, which from Trot's high perch seemed like a magnificent painted picture, was a rosy glow, such as we sometimes see in the west at sunset. In this case, however, it was not in the west only, but everywhere. No wonder the Ark paused to circle slowly over this lovely country. The other birds followed his action all eyeing the place with equal delight. Then, as with one accord, the four formed a group and slowly sailed downward. This brought them to that part of the newly discovered land which bordered on the desert's edge, but it was just as pretty here as anywhere, 
So the Ark and the birds alighted, and the three passengers at once got out of their swings. "'Oh, Cap'n Bill, isn't this fine and dandy?' exclaimed Trot rapturously. "'How lucky we were to discover this beautiful country!' "'The country seems rather high class, I'll admit, Trot,' replied the old sailor man, looking around him. "'But we don't know as yet what its people are like.' "'No one could live in such a country without being happy and good, I'm sure of that,' she said earnestly. "'Don't you think so, Button-Bright?' "'I'm not thinking just now,' answered the little boy. "'It tires me to think, and I never seem to gain anything by it. When we see the people who live here we will know what they are like, and no amount of thinking will make them any different.' "'That's true enough.' said the Ork. But now I want to make a proposal. While you are getting acquainted with this new country, which looks as if it contains everything to make one happy, I would like to fly along all by myself, and see if I can find my home on the other side of the great desert. If I do, I will stay there, of course. But if I fail to find Orkland, I will return to you in a week, to see if I can do anything more to assist you." They were sorry to lose their queer companion, but could offer no objection to the plan, so the Ark bade them good-bye, and, rising swiftly in the air, he flew over the country and was soon lost to view in the distance. The three birds, which had carried our friends, now begged permission to return by the way they had come to their own homes, saying they were anxious to show their families how big they had become. So Cap'n Bill and Trot and Button Bright all thanked them gratefully for their assistance, and soon the birds began their long flight toward the land of Mo. Being now left to themselves in this strange land, the three comrades selected a pretty pathway and began walking along it. They believed this path would lead them to a splendid castle which they espied in the distance, the turrets of which towered far above the tops of the trees which surrounded it. It did not seem very far away, so they sauntered on slowly, admiring the beautiful ferns and flowers that lined the pathway, and listening to the singing of the birds and the soft chirpings of the grasshoppers. Presently the path wound over a little hill. In a valley that lay beyond the hill was a tiny cottage, surrounded by flower-beds and fruit-trees. On the shady porch of the cottage they saw, as they approached, a pleasant-faced woman sitting amidst a group of children to whom she was telling stories. The children quickly discovered the strangers and ran toward them with exclamations of astonishment, so that Trot and her friends became the center of a curious group, all chattering excitedly. Cap'n Bill's wooden leg seemed to arouse the wonder of the children, as they could not understand why he had not two meat legs. This attention seemed to please the old sailor who patted the heads of the children kindly, and then, raising his hat to the woman, he inquired, "'Can't you tell us, madam, just what country this is?' 
She stared hard at all three of the strangers as she replied briefly, Jinxland. Oh, exclaimed Cap'n Bill with a puzzled look. And where is Jinxland, please? In the Quadling country, said she. What? cried Trot in sudden excitement. Do you mean to say this is the Quadling country of the Land of Oz? To be sure I do, the woman answered. Every bit of land that is surrounded by the great desert is the Land of Oz, as you ought to know as well as I do. But I'm sorry to say that Jinxland is separated from the rest of the Quadling country by that row of high mountains you see yonder, which have such steep sides that no one can cross them. So we live here all by ourselves, and are ruled by our own king instead of by Ozma of Oz. I've been to the Land of Oz before, said Button Bright, but I've never been here. Did you ever hear of Jinxland before? asked Trot. No, said Button Bright. It is on the map of Oz, though, asserted the woman, and it's a fine country, I assure you, if only she added, and then peered to look around her with a frightened expression. If only here she stopped again, as if not daring to go on with her speech. If only what, ma'am? asked Captain Bill. The woman sent the children into the house. Then she came closer to the strangers and whispered, If only we had a different king, we would be very happy and contented. What's the matter with your king? asked Trot curiously. But the woman seemed frightened to have said so much. She retreated to her porch, merely saying, The king punishes severely any treason on the part of his subjects. What's treason? asked Button Bright. In this case, replied Cap'n Bill, treason seems to consist of knocking the king. But I guess we know his disposition now as well as if the lady had said more. I wonder, said Trot, going up to the woman, if you could spare us something to eat. We haven't had anything but popcorn and lemonade for a long time. Bless your heart! Of course I can spare you some food, the woman answered. And entering her cottage, she soon returned with a tray loaded with sandwiches, cakes, and cheese. One of the children drew a bucket of clear cold water from a spring, and the three wanderers ate heartily and enjoyed the good things immensely. When Button Bright could eat no more, he filled the pockets of his jacket with cakes and cheese, and not even the children objected to this. Indeed, they all seemed pleased to see the strangers eat. So Cap'n Bill decided that no matter what the King of Jinxland was like, the people would prove friendly and hospitable. "'Whose castle is that yonder, ma'am?' he asked, waving his hand toward the towers that rose above the trees. "'It belongs to His Majesty, King Cruel,' she said. "'Oh, indeed, and does he live there?' "'When he is not out hunting with his fierce courtiers and war-captains,' she replied. "'Is he hunting now?' Trot inquired. "'I do not know, my dear. 
the less we know about the king's actions, the safer we are. It was evident the woman did not like to talk about King Cruel, and so, having finished their meal, they said good-bye and continued along the pathway. "'Don't you think we'd better keep away from that king's castle, Captain?' asked Trot. "'Well,' said he, "'King Cruel would find out sooner or later that we are in his country, so we may as well face the music now.' Perhaps he isn't quite so bad as that woman thinks he is. Kings aren't always popular with their people, you know, even if they do the best they know how. Ozma is popular, said Button Bright. Ozma is different from any other ruler from all I've heard, remarked Trot musingly as she walked beside the boy. And after all, we are really in the land of Oz, where Ozma rules every king and everybody else. I never heard of anybody getting hurt in her dominions, did you, Button-Bright?" "'Not when she knows about it,' he replied. "'But those birds landed us in just the wrong place, seems to me. They might have carried us right on over that row of mountains to the Emerald City.' "'True enough,' said Cap'n Bill. "'But they didn't, and so we must make the best of Jinxland. Let's try not to be afraid.' "'Oh, I'm not very scared,' said Button-Bright, pausing to look at a pink rabbit that popped its head out of a hole in the field nearby. "'Nor am I,' added Trot. "'Really, Cap'n, I'm so glad to be anywhere at all in the wonderful fairyland of Oz that I think I'm the luckiest girl in all the world. Dorothy lives in the Emerald City, you know, and so does the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman and Tick-Tock and the Shaggy Man and all the rest of them that we've heard so much about, not to mention Ozma, who must be the sweetest and loveliest girl in all the world. "'Take your time, Trot,' advised Button-Bright. "'You don't have to say it all in one breath, you know. And you haven't mentioned half of the curious people in the Emerald City.' "'That ere uh, Emerald City,' said Captain Bill impressively, "'happens to be on the other side of these mountains.' that we're told no one is able to cross. I don't want to discourage of you, Trot, but we're almost as much separated from your Ozma and Dorothy as we were when we lived in California." There was so much truth in this statement that they all walked on in silence for some time. Finally they reached the grove of stately trees that bordered the grounds of the King's castle. They had gone halfway through it when the sound of sobbing, as of someone in bitter distress, reached their ears and caused them to halt abruptly. End of Chapter 9 Chapter 10 Pon, the Gardener's Boy It was Button Bright who first discovered, lying on his face beneath a broad-spreading tree near the pathway, a young man whose body shook with the force of his sobs. He was dressed in a long brown smock, and had sandals on his feet, betokening one in humble life. His head was bare, and showed a shock of brown curly hair. Button Bright looked down on the young man, and said, "'Who cares anyhow?' "'I do,' cried the young man, interrupting his sobs to roll over face upward that he might see who had spoken. 
I care, for my heart is broken. Can't you get another one? asked the little boy. I don't want another, wailed the young man. By this time Trot and Cap'n Bill arrived at the spot, and the girl leaned over and said in a sympathetic voice, Tell us your troubles, and perhaps we may help you. The youth sat up then and bowed politely. Afterward he got upon his feet, but still kept wringing his hands as he tried to choke down his sobs. Trot thought he was very brave to control such awful agony so well. M my name is Pon, he began. I'm the gardener's boy. Then the gardener of the king is your father, I suppose? said Trot. Not my father, but my master, was the reply. I do the work, and the gardener gives the orders. But it was not my fault in the least that the Princess Gloria fell in love with me. Did she really? asked the little girl. I don't see why, remarked Button Bright, staring at the youth. And who may the Princess Gloria be? inquired Cap'n Bill. She is the niece of King Cruel, who is her guardian. The princess lives in the castle, and is the loveliest and sweetest maiden in all Jinxland. She is fond of flowers, and used to walk in the gardens with her attendants. At such times, if I was working at my tasks, I used to cast down my eyes as Gloria passed by me. But one day I glanced up and found her gazing at me with a very tender look in her eyes. The next day she dismissed her attendants, and, coming to my side, began to talk with me. She said I had touched her heart as no other young man had ever done. I kissed her hand. Just then the king came around a bend in the walk. He struck me with his fist and kicked me with his foot. Then he seized the arm of the princess and rudely dragged her into the castle. "'Wasn't he awful?' gasped Trot indignantly. "'He is a very abrupt king,' said Pon. "'So it was the least I could expect. Up to that time I had not thought of loving Princess Gloria, but realizing it would be impolite not to return her love, I did so.' We met at evening, now and then, and she told me the king wanted her to marry a rich courtier named Googly Goo, who is old enough to be Gloria's father. She has refused Googly Goo thirty-nine times, but he still persists and has brought many rich presents to bribe the king. On that account, King Cruel has commanded his niece to marry the old man. But the princess has assured me time and again that she will wed only me. This morning we happened to meet in the grape arbor, and as I was respectfully saluting the cheek of the princess, two of the king's guards seized me and beat me terribly before the very eyes of Gloria, whom the king himself held back so she could not interfere. Why? This king must be a monster, cried Trot. He is far worse than that, said Pon mournfully. But see here, interrupted Cap'n Bill, who had listened carefully to Pon. This king may not be so much to blame, after all. Kings are proud folks, because they're so high and mighty, 
and it isn't reasonable for a royal princess to marry a common gardener's boy. It isn't right, declared Button Bright. A princess should marry a prince. I'm not a common gardener's boy, protested Pon. If I had my rights, I would be the king instead of cruel. As it is, I'm a prince, and as royal as any man in Jinxland. How does that come? asked Cap'n Bill. My father used to be the king, and Cruel was his prime minister. But one day, while out hunting, King Fierce, that was my father's name, had a quarrel with Cruel and tapped him gently on the nose with the knuckles of his closed hand. This so provoked the wicked Cruel that he tripped my father backward so that he fell into a deep pond. At once Cruel threw in a mass of heavy stones, which so weighed down my poor father that his body could not rise again to the surface. It is impossible to kill anyone in this land, as perhaps you know, but when my father was pressed down into the mud at the bottom of the deep pool and the stones held him so he could never escape, he was of no more use to himself or the world than if he had died. Knowing this, Cruel proclaimed himself king, taking possession of the royal castle and driving all my father's people out. I was a small boy then, but when I grew up I became a gardener. I have served King Cruel without his knowing that I am the son of the same King Fierce whom he so cruelly made away with. My, but that's a terribly exciting story said Trot, drawing a long breath. But tell us, Pon, who was Gloria's father? Oh, he was the king before my father, replied Pon. Father was prime minister for King Kind, who was Gloria's father. She was only a baby when King Kind fell into the great gulf that lies just this side of the mountains, the same mountains that separate Jinxland from the rest of the land of Oz. It is said that the great gulf has no bottom, but however that may be, King Kind has never been seen again, and my father became king in his place. Seems to me, said Trot, that if Gloria had her rights, she would be queen of Jinxland. Well, her father was a king, admitted Pon, and so was my father, so we are of equal rank. Although she's a great lady, and I'm a humble gardener's boy, I can't see why we should not marry if we want to, except that King Cruel won't let us. It's a sort of mixed-up mess, taken all together, remarked Cap'n Bill. But we are on our way to visit King Cruel, and if we get a chance, young man, we'll put in a good word for you. Do, please, begged Pon. Was it the flogging you got that broke your heart? inquired Button Bright. Why, it helped to break it, of course, said Pon. I'd get it fixed up if I were you, advised the boy, tossing a pebble at a chipmunk in a tree. You ought to give Gloria just as good a heart as she gives you. That's common sense, agreed Captain Bill. So they left the gardener's boy standing beside the path, and resumed their journey toward the castle. End of Chapter 10 Chapter 11 
The Wicked King and Googly Goo When our friends approached the great doorway of the castle, they found it guarded by several soldiers, dressed in splendid uniforms. They were armed with swords and lances. Captain Bill walked straight up to them and asked, Does the king happen to be at home? His magnificent and glorious majesty, King Cruel, is at present inhabiting his royal castle, was the stiff reply. Then I guess we'll go in and say how'd you do, continued Captain Bill, attempting to enter the doorway. But a soldier barred his way with a lance. Who are you, what are your names, and where do you come from? demanded the soldier. You wouldn't know if we told you, returned the sailor, seeing as we're strangers in a strange land. Oh, if you are strangers, you will be permitted to enter, said the soldier, lowering his lance. His Majesty is very fond of strangers. How many strangers come here? asked Trot. You are the first that ever came to our country, said the man. But His Majesty has often said that if strangers ever arrived in Jinxland, he would see that they had a very exciting time. Cap'n Bill scratched his chin thoughtfully. He wasn't very favorably impressed by this last remark. But he decided that, as there was no way to escape from Jinxland, it would be wise to confront the king boldly and try to win his favor. So they entered the castle, escorted by one of the soldiers. It was certainly a fine castle, with many large rooms, all beautifully furnished. The passages were winding and handsomely decorated, and after following several of these the soldier led them into an open court that occupied the very center of the huge building. It was surrounded on every side by high, turreted wall, and contained beds of flowers, fountains, and walks of many colored marbles which were matched together in quaint designs. In an open space near the middle of the court they saw a group of courtiers and their ladies, who surrounded a lean man who wore upon his head a jeweled crown. His face was hard and sullen, and through the slits of his half-closed eyelids the eyes glowed like coals of fire. He was dressed in brilliant satins and velvets, and was seated in a golden throne chair. The personage was King Cruel, and as soon as Cap'n Bill saw him, the old sailor knew at once that he was not going to like the King of Jinxland. "'Hello, who's here?' said His Majesty with a deep scowl. "'Strangers, sire,' answered the soldier, bowing so low that his forehead touched the marble tiles. "'Strangers, eh? Well, well, what an unexpected visit. Advance, strangers, and give an account of yourselves.' The king's voice was as harsh as his features. Trot shuddered a little, but Cap'n Bill calmly replied, "'There ain't much for us to say, except as we've arrived to look over your country and see how we like it. Judging from the way you speak, you don't know who we are, or you'd be jumping up to shake hands and offer us seats. Kings usually treat us pretty well in the great big outside world where we come from. But in this little kingdom, which don't amount to much anyhow, 
folks don't seem to have got much culture. The king listened with amazement to this bold speech, first with a frown, and then gazing at the two children and the old sailor with evident curiosity. The courtiers were dumb with fear, for no one had ever dared speak in such a manner to their self-willed, cruel king before. His majesty, however, was somewhat frightened, for cruel people are always cowards, and he feared these mysterious strangers might possess magic powers that would destroy him unless he treated them well. So he commanded his people to give the new arrivals seats, and they obeyed with trembling haste. After being seated, Cap'n Bill lighted his pipe and began puffing smoke from it, a sight so strange to them that it filled them all with wonder. Presently the king asked, "'How did you penetrate to this hidden country? Did you cross the desert or the mountains?' "'Desert,' answered Cap'n Bill, as if the task were too easy to be worth talking about. "'Indeed. No one has ever been able to do that before.' said the king. "'Well, it's easy enough if you know how,' asserted Cap'n Bill, so carelessly that it greatly impressed his hearers. The king shifted in his throne uneasily. He was more afraid of these strangers than before. "'Do you intend to stay long in Jinxland?' was his next anxious question. "'Depends on how we like it,' said Cap'n Bill. Just now I might suggest to your majesty to order some rooms got ready for us in your dinky little castle here, and a royal banquet with some fried onions and pickle tripe would set easy on our stomachs and make us a bit happier than we are now. Your wishes shall be attended to, said King Cruel, but his eyes flashed from between their slits in a wicked way that made Trot hope the food wouldn't be poisoned. At the king's command, several of his attendants hastened away to give the proper orders to the castle servants, and no sooner were they gone than a skinny old man entered the courtyard and bowed before the king. This disagreeable person was dressed in rich velvets with many furbelows and laces. He was covered with golden chains, finely wrought rings, and jeweled ornaments. He walked with mincing steps and glared at all the courtiers as if he considered himself far superior to any or all of them. "'Well, well, your majesty, what news, what news?' he demanded in a shrill, cracked voice. The king gave him a surly look. "'No news, Lord Googly-Goo, except that strangers have arrived,' he said. "'Googly-Goo?' cast a contemptuous glance at Cap'n Bill, and a disdainful one at Trot and Button Bright. Then he said, "'Strangers do not interest me, Your Majesty, but the Princess Gloria is very interesting, very interesting indeed. What does she say, sire? Will she marry me?' "'Ask her,' retorted the king. "'I have many times.' and every time she has refused. Well, said the king harshly. Well, said Googly Goo in a jaunty tone, a bird that can sing and won't sing must be made to sing. Huh, 
sneered the king. That's easy with a bird, but a girl is harder to manage. Still, persisted Googly Goo, we must overcome difficulties. The chief trouble is that Gloria fancies she loves that miserable gardener's boy, Pon. Suppose we throw Pon into the great gulf, your majesty. It wouldn't do any good, returned the king. She would still love him. Too bad, too bad, sighed Googly Goo. I have laid aside more than a bushel of precious gems, each worth a king's ransom, to present to your majesty on the day I wed Gloria. The king's eyes sparkled, for he loved wealth above everything, but the next moment he frowned deeply again. It won't help us to kill Pon, he muttered. What we must do is kill Gloria's love for Pon. That is better, if you can find a way to do it, agreed Googly Goo. Everything would come right if you could kill Gloria's love for that gardener's boy. Really, sire, now that I come to think of it, there must be fully a bushel and a half of those jewels. Just then a messenger entered the court to say that the banquet was prepared for the strangers. So Cap'n Bill, Trot, and Button Bright entered the castle and were taken to a room where a fine feast was spread upon the table. "'I don't like that Lord Googly Goo,' remarked Trot as she was busily eating. "'Nor I,' said Cap'n Bill. "'But from the talk we heard I guess the gardener's boy won't get the princess.' "'Perhaps not.' returned the girl. But I hope old Googly doesn't get her either. The king means to sell her for all those jewels, observed Button Bright, his mouth half full of cake and jam. Poor princess, sighed Trot. I'm sorry for her, although I've never seen her. But if she says no to Googly Goo and means it, what can they do? Don't let us worry about a strange princess, advised Cap'n Bill. I've a notion we're not too safe ourselves with this cruel king." The two children felt the same way, and all three were rather solemn during the remainder of the meal. When they had eaten, the servants escorted them to their rooms. Cap'n Bill's room was way to one end of the castle, very high up, and Trot's room was at the opposite end, rather low down. As for Button Bright, they placed him in the middle, so that all were as far apart as they could possibly be. They didn't like this arrangement very well, but all the rooms were handsomely furnished, and being guests of the king they dared not complain. After the strangers had left the courtyard, the king and Googly Goo had a long talk together, and the king said, "'I cannot force Gloria to marry you just now. Because those strangers may interfere. I suspect that the wooden-legged man possesses great magical powers, or he would never have been able to carry himself and those children across the deadly desert." "'I don't like him. He looks dangerous,' answered Googly Goo. "'But perhaps you are mistaken about his being a wizard. Why don't you test his powers?' "'How?' asked the king. Send for the wicked witch. She will tell you in a moment whether that wooden-legged person is a common man 
for a magician. Ha! That's a good idea, cried the king. Why didn't I think of the wicked witch before? But the woman demands rich rewards for her services. Never mind, I will pay her, promised the wealthy Googly Goo. So a servant was dispatched to summon the wicked witch, who lived but a few leagues from King Cruel's castle. While they awaited her, the withered old courtier proposed that they pay a visit to Princess Gloria, and see if she was not now in a more complacent mood. So the two started away together and searched the castle over without finding Gloria. At last Googly Goo suggested she might be in the rear garden, which was a large park filled with bushes and trees and surrounded by a high wall. And what was their anger when they turned a corner of the path to find in a quiet nook the beautiful princess and kneeling before her Pon the gardener's son. With a roar of rage the king dashed forward, but Pon had scaled the wall by means of a ladder which still stood in its place, and when he saw the king coming he ran up the ladder and made good his escape. But this left Gloria confronted by her angry guardian the king, and by old Googly Goo, who was trembling with a fury he could not express in words. Seizing the princess by her arm, the king dragged her back to the castle. Pushing her into a room on the lower floor, he locked the door upon the unhappy girl, and at that moment the arrival of the wicked witch was announced. Hearing this, the king smiled as a tiger smiles, showing his teeth. And Googly Goo smiled as a serpent smiles, for he had no teeth except a couple of fangs. And having frightened each other with these smiles, the two dreadful men went away to the royal council chamber to meet the wicked witch. End of chapter 11 Chapter 12 The Wooden-Legged Grasshopper now, it so happened that Trot, from the window of her room, had witnessed the meeting of the lovers in the garden, and had seen the king come and drag Gloria away. The little girl's heart went out in sympathy for the poor princess, who seemed to her to be one of the sweetest and loveliest young ladies she had ever seen, so she crept along the passages, and from a hidden niche saw Gloria locked in her room. The key was still in the lock, so when the king had gone away, followed by Googly Goo, Trot stole up to the door, turned the key, and entered. The princess lay prone upon a couch, sobbing bitterly. Trot went up to her and smoothed her hair and tried to comfort her. "'Don't cry,' she said. "'I've unlocked the door so you can go away any time you want to.' <laughs> it isn't that, sobbed the princess. I am unhappy because they will not let me love Pon, the gardener's boy. Well, never mind. Pon isn't any great shakes anyhow, seems to me, said Trot soothingly. There are lots of other people you can love. Gloria rolled over on the couch and looked at the little girl reproachfully. 
Pon has won my heart, and I can't help loving him," she explained. Then, with sudden indignation, she added, "But I'll never love Googly Goo, never, as long as I live." "I should say not," replied Trot. "Pon may not be much good, but old Googly is very, very bad. Hunt around, and I'm sure you'll find someone worth your love. You're very pretty, you know." And almost everyone ought to love you. You don't understand, my dear," said Gloria as she wiped the tears from her eyes with a dainty lace handkerchief bordered with pearls. When you are older, you will realize that a young lady cannot decide whom she will love, or choose the most worthy. Her heart alone decides for her, and whomsoever her heart selects, she must love. Whether he amounts to much or not, Trot was a little puzzled by this speech, which seemed to her unreasonable. But she made no reply, and presently Gloria's grief softened, and she began to question the little girl about herself and her adventures. Trot told her how they had happened to come to Jinxland, all about Cap'n Bill and the Ork and Pessim and the Bumpy Man. While they were thus conversing together, getting more and more friendly as they became better acquainted, in the council chamber the king and Googly Goo were talking with the wicked witch. This evil creature was old and ugly. She had lost one eye and wore a black patch over it, so the people of Jinxland had named her Blinky. Of course, witches are forbidden to exist in the land of Oz. But Jinxland was so far removed from the center of Ozma's dominions, and so absolutely cut off from it by the steep mountains and the bottomless gulf, that the laws of Oz were not obeyed very well in that country. So there were several witches in Jinxland who were the terror of the people, but King Krewl favored them and permitted them to exercise their evil sorcery. Blinky was the leader of all the other witches. And therefore, the most hated and feared, the king used her witchcraft at times to assist him in carrying out his cruelties and revenge. But he was always obliged to pay Blinky large sums of money or heaps of precious jewels before she would undertake an enchantment. This made him hate the old woman almost as much as his subjects did. But today. Lord Googly Goo had agreed to pay the witch's price, so the king greeted her with gracious favor. "Can you destroy the love of Princess Gloria for the gardener's boy?" inquired His Majesty. The wicked witch thought about it before she replied, "That's a hard question to answer. I can do lots of clever magic, but love is a stubborn thing to conquer. When you think you've killed it." It's liable to bob up again as strong as ever. I believe love and cats have nine lives. In other words, killing love is a hard job, even for a skillful witch. But I believe I can do something that will answer your purpose just as well. What is it? Asked the king. I can freeze the girl's heart. I've got a special incantation for that. And when Gloria's heart is thoroughly frozen, she can no longer love Pon. Just the thing," 
exclaimed Googly Goo, and the king was likewise much pleased. They bargained a long time as to the price, but finally the old courtier agreed to pay the wicked witch's demands. It was arranged that they should take Gloria to Blinky's house the next day to have her heart frozen. Then King Cruel mentioned to the old hag the strangers who had that day arrived in Jinxland, and said to her, I think the two children, the boy and the girl, are unable to harm me, but I have a suspicion that the wooden-legged man is a powerful wizard. The witch's face wore a troubled look when she heard this. If you are right, she said, this wizard might spoil my incantation and interfere with me in other ways. So it will be best for me to meet this stranger at once and match my magic against his to decide which is the stronger. All right, said the king. Come with me and I will lead you to the man's room. Googly Goo did not accompany them, as he was obliged to go home to get the money and jewels he had promised to pay old Blinky. So the other two climbed several flights of stairs, and went through many passages, until they came to the room occupied by Cap'n Bill. The sailor-man, finding his bed soft and inviting, and being tired with the adventures he had experienced, had decided to take a nap. When the wicked witch and the king softly opened his door and entered, Cap'n Bill was snoring with such vigor that he did not hear them at all. Blinky approached the bed, and with her one eye anxiously stared at the sleeping stranger. "'Ah,' she said in a soft whisper, "'I believe you are right, King Cruel. The man looks to me like a very powerful wizard.' But by luck I have caught him asleep. So I shall transform him before he wakes up, giving him such a form that he will be unable to oppose me. Careful, cautioned the king, also speaking low. If he discovers what you are doing, he may destroy you, and that would annoy me because I need you to attend to Gloria. But the wicked witch realized as well as he did that she must be careful. She carried over her arm a black bag, from which she drew several packets carefully wrapped in paper. Three of these she selected, replacing the others in the bag. Two of the packets she mixed together, and then she cautiously opened the third. "'Better stand back, Your Majesty,' she advised, "'for if this powder falls on you, you might be transformed yourself.' The king hastily retreated to the end of the room. As Blinky mixed the third powder with the others, she waved her hands over it, mumbled a few words, and then backed away as quickly as she could. Cap'n Bill was slumbering peacefully, all unconscious of what was going on. Poof! A great cloud of smoke rolled over the bed and completely hid him from view. When the smoke rolled away, both Blinky and the king saw that the body of the stranger had quite disappeared, while in its place, crouching in the middle of the bed, was a little gray grasshopper. One curious thing about this grasshopper 
was that the last joint of its left leg was made of wood. Another curious thing, considering it was a grasshopper, was that it began talking, crying out in a tiny but sharp voice, Here, you people, what do you mean by treating me so? Put me back where I belong at once, or you'll be sorry. The cruel king turned pale at hearing the grasshopper's threats, but the wicked witch merely laughed in derision. Then she raised her stick and aimed a vicious blow at the grasshopper, but before the stick struck the bed, the tiny hopper made a marvelous jump, marvelous indeed, when we consider that it had a wooden leg. It rose in the air and sailed across the room and passed right through the open window, where it disappeared from their view. "'Good!' shouted the king. "'We are well rid of this desperate wizard.' And then they both laughed heartily at the success of the incantation, and went away to complete their horrid plans. After Trot had visited a time with Princess Gloria, the little girl went to Button Bright's room, but did not find him there. Then she went to Cap'n Bill's room, but he was not there because the witch and the king had been there before her. So she made her way downstairs and questioned the servants. They said they had seen the little boy go out into the garden some time ago, but the old man with the wooden leg they had not seen at all. Therefore Trot, not knowing what else to do, rambled through the great gardens, seeking for Button Bright or Cap'n Bill, and not finding either of them. This part of the garden which lay before the castle was not walled in, but extended to the roadway, and the path was open to the edge of the forest. So after two hours of vain search for her friends, the little girl returned to the castle. But at the doorway a soldier stopped her. "'I live here,' said Trot, "'so it's all right to let me in. The king has given me a room.' "'Well, he has taken it back again,' was the soldier's reply. "'His Majesty's orders are to turn you away if you attempt to enter. I am also ordered to forbid the boy, your companion, to again enter the king's castle.' "'How about Captain Bill?' she inquired. "'Why, it seems he has mysteriously disappeared,' replied the soldier, shaking his head ominously. Where he has gone to, I can't make out. But I can assure you he is no longer in this castle. I'm sorry, little girl, to disappoint you. Don't blame me. I must obey my master's orders. Now, all her life, Trot had been accustomed to depend on Cap'n Bill. So when this good friend was suddenly taken from her, she felt very miserable and forlorn indeed. She was brave enough not to cry before the soldier, or even to let him see her grief and anxiety, but after she was turned away from the castle, she sought a quiet bench in the garden, and for a time sobbed as if her heart would break. It was Button Bright who found her at last, just as the sun had set, and the shades of evening were falling. He also had been turned away from the king's castle when he tried to enter it, and in the park he came across Trot. "'Never mind,' said the boy. "'We can find a place to sleep.' "'I want Cap'n Bill,' wailed the girl. "'Well, so do I,' was the reply. "'But we haven't got him. Where do you suppose he is, Trot?' 
I don't suppose anything. He's gone, and that's all I know about it. Button Bright sat on the bench beside her, and thrust his hands in the pockets of his knickerbockers. Then he reflected somewhat gravely for him. Captain Bill isn't around here, he said, letting his eyes wander over the dim garden. So we must go somewhere else if we want to find him. Besides, it's fast getting dark, and if we want to find a place to sleep, we must get busy while we can see where to go. He rose from the bench as he said this, and Trot also jumped up, drying her eyes upon her apron. Then she walked beside him out of the grounds of the king's castle. They did not go by the main path, but passed through an opening in a hedge, and found themselves in a small but well-worn roadway. Following this for some distance along a winding way, they came upon no house or building that would afford them refuge for the night. It became so dark that they could scarcely see their way, and finally Trot stopped and suggested that they camp under a tree. "'All right,' said Button Bright. "'I've often found that leaves make a good warm blanket. But look here, Trot.' Isn't that a light flashing over yonder? It certainly is, Button Bright. Let's go over and see if it's a house. Whoever lives there couldn't treat us worse than the king did. To reach the light, they had to leave the road, so they stumbled over hillocks and brushwood, hand in hand, keeping the tiny speck of light always in sight. They were rather forlorn little waifs, outcast in a strange country, and forsaken by their only friend and guardian, Captain Bill. So they were very glad when finally they reached a small cottage and, looking in through its one window, saw Pon, the gardener's boy, sitting by a fire of twigs. As Trot opened the door and walked boldly in, Pon sprang up to greet them. They told him of Captain Bill's disappearance and how they had been turned out of the king's castle, as they finished the story, Pon shook his head sadly. "'King Cruel is plotting mischief, I fear,' said he. "'For today he sent for old Blinky, the wicked witch, and with my own eyes I saw her come from the castle and hobble away toward her hut. She had been with the king and Googly-Goo, and I was afraid they were going to work some enchantment on Gloria so she would no longer love me.' But perhaps the witch was only called to the castle to enchant your friend, Captain Bill. "'Can she do that?' asked Trot, horrified by the suggestion. "'I suppose so, for old Blinky can do a lot of wicked magical things. What sort of enchantment could she put on Captain Bill?' "'I don't know, but he has disappeared, so I'm pretty certain she has done something dreadful to him. But don't worry.' If it has happened, it can't be helped. And if it hasn't happened, we may be able to find him in the morning. With this, Pon went to the cupboard and brought food for them. Trot was far too worried to eat, but Button Bright made a good supper from the simple food, and then lay down before the fire and went to sleep. The little girl and the gardener's boy, however, sat for a long time, staring into the fire, busy with their thoughts. But at last Trot, too, became sleepy, and Pon gently covered her with the one blanket he possessed. Then he threw more wood on the fire and laid himself down before it, next to Button Bright. Soon 
all three were fast asleep. They were in a good deal of trouble, but they were young, and sleep was good to them, because for a time it made them forget. End of Chapter 12 Chapter 13 Glinda the Good and the Scarecrow of Oz That country south of the Emerald City in the land of Oz is known as the Quadling Country, and in the very southernmost part of it stands a splendid palace in which lives Glinda the Good. Glinda is the royal sorceress of Oz. She has wonderful magical powers, and uses them only to benefit the subjects of Ozma's kingdom. Even the famous Wizard of Oz pays tribute to her, for Glinda taught him all the real magic he knows, and she is his superior in all sorts of sorcery. Everyone loves Glinda, from the dainty and exquisite ruler Ozma, down to the humblest inhabitant of Oz, for she is always kindly and helpful and willing to listen to their troubles, however busy she may be. No one knows her age, but all can see how beautiful and stately she is. Her hair is like red gold, and finer than the finest silken strands. Her eyes are blue as the sky, and always frank and smiling. Her cheeks are the envy of peach blows, and her mouth is enticing as a rosebud. Glinda is tall, and wears splendid gowns that trail behind her as she walks. She wears no jewels, for her beauty would shame them. For attendants, Glinda has half a hundred of the loveliest girls in Oz. They are gathered from all over Oz, from among the Winkies, the Munchkins, the Gillikins, and the Quadlings, as well as from Ozma's magnificent Emerald City, and it is considered a great favor to be allowed to serve the royal sorceress. Among the many wonderful things in Glinda's palace is the great Book of Records. In this book is inscribed everything that takes place in all the world just the instant it happens, so that by referring to its pages Glinda knows what is taking place far and near in every country that exists. In this way she learns when and where she can help any in distress or danger, and although her duties are confined to assisting those who inhabit the land of Oz, she is always interested in what takes place in the unprotected outside world. So it was that on a certain evening Glinda sat in her library, surrounded by a bevy of her maids, who were engaged in spinning, weaving, and embroidery, when an attendant announced the arrival at the palace of the Scarecrow. This personage was one of the most famous and popular in all the land of Oz. His body was merely a suit of munchkin clothes stuffed with straw, but his head was a round sack filled with bran, with which the Wizard of Oz had mixed some magic brains of a very superior sort. The eyes, nose, and mouth of the scarecrow were painted upon the front of the sack, as were his ears, and since this quaint being had been endowed with life, the expression on his face was very interesting, if somewhat comical. The scarecrow was good all through, even to his brains, 
and while he was naturally awkward in his movements and lacked the neat symmetry of other people, his disposition was so kind and considerate, and he was so obliging and honest, that all who knew him loved him, and there were few people in Oz who had not met our Scarecrow and made his acquaintance. He lived part of the time in Ozma's palace at the Emerald City, part of the time in his own corn-cob castle in the Winkie country, and part of the time he traveled over all Oz, visiting with the people and playing with the children whom he dearly loved. It was on one of his wandering journeys that the Scarecrow had arrived at Glinda's palace, and the sorceress at once made him welcome. As he sat beside her, talking of his adventures, he asked, "'What's new in the way of news?' Glinda opened her great book of records, and read some of the last pages. "'Here is an item quite curious and interesting,' she announced, an accent of surprise in her voice. Three people from the big outside world have arrived in Jinxland.' "'Where is Jinxland?' inquired the Scarecrow. "'Very near here, a little to the east of us,' she said. "'In fact, Jinxland is a little slice taken off the Quadling country, but separated from it by a range of high mountains, at the foot of which lies a wide, deep gulf that is supposed to be impassable.' "'Then Jinxland is really a part of the Land of Oz,' said he. "'Yes,' returned Glinda. "'But Oz people know nothing of it, except what is recorded here in my book.' "'What does the book say about it?' asked Scarecrow. "'It is ruled by a wicked man called King Cruel, although he has no right to the title. Most of the people are good, but they are very timid, and live in constant fear of their fierce ruler.' There are several wicked witches who keep the inhabitants of Jinxland in a state of terror. "'Do those witches have any magical powers?' inquired the Scarecrow. "'Yes. They seem to understand witchcraft in its most evil form, for one of them has just transformed a respectable and honest old sailor, one of the strangers who arrived there, into a grasshopper.' This same witch, Blinky by name, is also planning to freeze the heart of a beautiful Jinxland girl named Princess Gloria. Why, that's a dreadful thing to do! exclaimed the Scarecrow. Glinda's face was very grave. She read in her book how Trot and Button Bright were turned out of the king's castle, and how they found refuge in the hut of Pon, the gardener's boy. I'm afraid those helpless earth people will endure much suffering in Jinxland, even if the wicked king and the witches permit them to live, said the good sorceress thoughtfully. I wish I might help them. Can I do anything? asked the scarecrow anxiously. If so, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. For a few moments Glinda did not reply, but sat musing over the records. Then she said, I am going to send you to Jinxland to protect Trot and Button-Bright and Cap'n Bill. All right, answered the Scarecrow in a cheerful voice. I know Button-Bright already, for he has been in the Land of Oz before. You remember he went away from the Land of Oz in one of the wizard's big bubbles. 
"'Yes,' said Glinda. "'I remember that.' Then she carefully instructed the Scarecrow what to do, and gave him certain magical things which he placed in the pockets of his ragged munchkin coat. "'As you have no need to sleep,' said she, "'you may as well start at once.' "'The night is the same as day to me,' he replied, "'except that I cannot see my way so well in the dark.' "'I will furnish a light to guide you,' promised the sorceress. So the Scarecrow bade her good-bye, and at once started on his journey. By morning he had reached the mountains that separated the Quadling country from Jinxland. The sides of these mountains were too steep to climb. But the Scarecrow took a small rope from his pocket and tossed one end upward into the air. The rope unwound itself for hundreds of feet until it caught upon a peak of rock at the very top of the mountain, for it was a magic rope furnished him by Glinda. The scarecrow climbed the rope, and after pulling it up let it down on the other side of the mountain range. When he descended the rope on this side, he found himself in Jinxland, but at his feet yawned the great gulf, which must be crossed before he could proceed any farther. The Scarecrow knelt down and examined the ground carefully, and in a moment he discovered a fuzzy brown spider that had rolled itself into a ball. So he took two tiny pills from his pocket and laid them beside the spider, which unrolled itself and quickly ate up the pills. Then the Scarecrow said in a voice of command, Spin! and the spider obeyed instantly. In a few moments the little creature had spun two slender but strong strands that reached way across the gulf, one being five or six feet above the other. When these were completed, the scarecrow started across the tiny bridge, walking upon one strand as a person walks upon a rope, and holding to the upper strand with his hands to prevent him from losing his balance and toppling over into the gulf. The tiny threads held him safely, thanks to the strength given them by the magic pills. Presently he was safe across and standing on the plains of Jinxland. Far away he could see the towers of the king's castle, and toward this he at once began to walk. End of chapter 13 and the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to Oleander Book Club, formerly Black Clock Audio Tales, formerly People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos Reading Supplemental Episodes. So yeah, if you've been listening forever, let us know. If you've just started listening, let us know. We are KZOM, 11.30 a.m. Oleander, Oregon, on the Facebook. Just type in KZOM and the rest will pop up. If you want to talk to us, if you want to join us, if you want to suggest things, if you want to suggest public domain books that I can actually put up here, if you want to read something, if you have a story that you've written, if you want to write fiction about Oleander, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do. You can help out the show. You can be a part of the show. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, any podcatchers that are out there. Uh, we are also 
on, oh, what's it called? Spotify. We're on Spotify. I don't know if you knew that, but yeah. You can just put on Spotify uh, at, at the beginning of a book, and it'll just go through and all that kind of fun stuff. And, and if you go to PGTTCM, you can support the show by going to our store and purchasing some of our older t-shirts. We're going to have some new t-shirts coming up. Really haven't had much time to work in the studio. I've been working on a whole bunch of projects. Currently working on another podcast uh, just in the writing stage right now so people who are fans of the fallout series i got the go ahead to work on a podcast uh based off of fallout so that's going to be interesting uh the tentative title currently is the ballad of johnny smooth skin and it is about uh imagining if a character with a high charisma and luck build uh, just kind of lucked their way through a post-apocalyptic uh, hellscape. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thank you so much for listening. Stay stay, <laughs> stay safe. Stay clean. Don't be a jerk. Wash your hands. Wear a filter. Wear a mask. And help those who are in need any way you can. Th- thank you again. And best of luck to everyone. <laughs> I'm not laughing because I'm a jerk. I'm laughing because I'm really, really, really nervous and kind of scared. And everything's just kind of looked like the apocalypse lately and just scary as hell. And it's just everything all at once. And, oh, man, anxiety city. Uh, are, Are you experiencing anxiety? Do you have problems sleeping at night? Have you tried? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. No, uh, so many podcasts have the like mattress ads or CBD oil ads, and I just want to say, I you know what? I I don't have any. I, I don't have anything for that. I don't have any sponsors currently. And if you want to sponsor the show, if you think you could be a good sponsor, if you have a product out there that you want people to check out, contact us. Or...